Let's open our Bibles this morning to Ezra chapter 8, verses 24 through 30. Ezra chapter 8, verses 24 through 30. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then I set apart twelve of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God, that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel were present had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver, and silver vessels worth 200 talents, and a hundred talents of gold, twenty bowls of gold worth one thousand darics, and two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. Let's pray. Our Father, open us to Your Word this morning. For Your Word will not be moved. Your your statements, Your the words of your mouth will not be changed. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we find that at the points where we may look at your word and say, I don't want to do that, that we are simply banging our heads against a wall. Because your word will not be moved. And if we build our lives on that foundation neither will we be shaken. You are our rock. You are our fortress. You are not the shifting sands of this world. You are the foundation of what is good and what is right and who we are called to be. Teach us today. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Last week, we began to look at this highly illustrative passage. And I'll be honest with you up front, I intended to just spend last week and this week on it. But as I prepared, I only got through point one this week. And there's still several points to be made in this very passage. And so I'll remind you that we first paid attention a week ago to the holy trust that was entrusted to these men of God and the more valuable trust that has been placed in God's people today as we carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a holy trust carrying the very things of God to accomplish His purposes. It is a calling. It is a position. It is a responsibility all together at the same time. But there's a fundamental question that underlies this entire doctrine I didn't really explore last week. I left it for today because the answer from Scripture deserves 
the time necessary to explore it more fully. And that question is this, why does God entrust us with these riches in Christ Jesus? Why does He not choose some other way than to put that treasure into earthly vessels? And even asking it, I caution that asking why questions about God is perilous. And this is certainly no exception. It's because we are incapable of thinking God's thoughts or understanding His purposes unless He has revealed them explicitly through Scripture, which is His Word that tells us everything we need to know about Him. When we speculate on why God would do this or why God would do that, it is futility unless He has told us why He did it. Because very often, the answer would be, you couldn't understand it if I told you. And so even in asking this question today, why has God placed this trust in us? It must be largely a rhetorical question. And I'm certainly not asking it, expecting to be able to provide for you an answer like, well, this is the reason God has chosen you or has chosen me to entrust with this treasure. If you really ponder it, if you let your mind go to why God trusts us to carry this treasure, I'm sure you'll be as baffled as I am. After all, we are far from trustworthy. We're frail. We talked last week that we are called jars of clay. We're fragile. We're unequal even to this environment we live in. If it were not for the things that God has provided to help us live in this cursed world, the creation that toils and travails under God's curse, we would be undone immediately. Last night was a very mild night. I think it just got down into the mid-50s. But I certainly would not have wanted to spend it out in the elements. Because we are simply not up to that task. We're frail. Another reason we're far from trustworthy is that we're often inconstant. Our moods and our desires shift almost without warning. Our heads are easily turned. Temptation easily baits us and lures us away from God, putting our witness to the gospel that we carry at risk. Another reason that we are far from trustworthy is that we are willful. So often we act like unbroken horses who buck and recoil and fight against the touch of our loving Master. We so often kick against the yoke of providence even when the yoke is easy and the burden is light. And the Master suffers with us long as He patiently trains us to be His people. And even more, we are far from trustworthy because we are so limited in our understanding. We often don't even recognize the value of what we've been given. Like a child who finds a necklace of rarest pearls 
who then breaks the string holding them together so that he can play marbles with them. We're not even capable in ourselves to carry such a worthy treasure. We can't even imagine how valuable it is sometimes because we value so many things more than we value the holy trust that God has placed with us and in us. Yet even though God knows all these things, knows our frailty, suffers through our selfishness, He still entrusts this priceless gift to us. That is the certainty He gives us through the Scripture that He has chosen to perform His work of the Gospel through His people. And that is the meaning of that holy trust that we talked at length about last week. So ultimately, we see in Scripture the answer to the question of why God places His trust in us is not a matter of what makes us worthy to carry His treasure because in no way are we ever worthy in ourselves to carry that treasure. But the question of why can only possibly be answered in looking at who God is. And it comes down to this. God is the God who delights in giving gifts. He delights in giving us things. Giving us holy things. He delights in giving those gifts. We're reminded specifically at this time of year about that very fact that God delights in giving gifts as we contemplate the incarnation. That is, the moment in time when God became flesh and dwelt among us. It is good for us to be overwhelmed by that gift. That one unique period in history That holy night where the eternal Son of God emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. We're reminded of that during this Christmas tide, this Christmas season, that God has given us a priceless gift, the gift of His Son. And then we recall it even at Easter when we see the culmination of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ in His sacrificial death, His burial, and His resurrection, we can meditate upon God's love that He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. In that passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul goes on to put the spotlight not on us, Not on the recipients, but on the God who gives. When he says, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Because he is the God 
who delights to give gifts. Nothing in God's gifts, particularly His gift of salvation, indicates our worthiness in the least. In fact, God doesn't expect us to be worthy of His gift of Jesus Christ. He expects us, He expected us to be the wretches we were. He came to save us from that sorry and that hopeless state. We read this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, I want to remind you of this passage that is so dear to us. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. Verse 7 there is so important. It's crucial to understanding our God who gives gifts. He tells us that grace was given to us by God as a gift, not on the basis of anything that we would do for Him. In fact, the word used to describe Christ's gift in verse 7 has a very special meaning. And that meaning is it is a gift that is given purely out of the delight of the giver. Purely because the giver wants to bless. That is why Isaiah the prophet could look through the Holy Spirit down through the centuries and declare this amazing statement. In Isaiah 53 beginning in verse 9. He says, He had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in His mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush Him, putting Him to grief. If He would render Himself as a guilt offering, He will see His offspring. He will prolong His days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in His hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, Isaiah declared the gospel. He declared the good news of a gift that God would give. Not a demand that God would make. He says the Lord was pleased to crush Him. To give His only Son as a gift, a guilt offering. As the result of the anguish of Jesus' soul. The torment He endured as payment for sins He never committed. Sins that you and I committed and continue to violate. God would see it and be satisfied. And that single sacrifice, accomplished one time and effective for eternity, justifies many, putting their iniquities on Him, on Jesus, so that He can bring many sons to glory. There's so much here. Isaiah is not preaching the law to his hearers. 
He's not saying God came to tell you the right way to go. He's not saying God came and gave you another commandment of which way you need to go. He is preaching grace. He is preaching a free gift. He is preaching unmerited favor, undeserved mercy. He isn't preaching for you to clean yourself up, pick pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. Because all your efforts are in vain apart from Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 tells us what our efforts earn us. When it says the wages of sin is death. That's the end result of every effort we make. Death. But thank God for the very next word in that passage. But. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is declaring to you today that the work of Jesus the Messiah is sufficient to remove the guilt of any sin you've done, bar none. And the work that He has done will be credited to you as a gift. If you cast your hope upon Him alone for your salvation, His blood... His suffering, His death has satisfied God's terrible wrath against you. If you will turn to Him and leave behind any thought of your own worthiness or your own goodness, His righteousness is imputed, is placed upon you as surely as your sins are placed upon Him. Looking back at Ephesians 4-7 again, Paul makes sure that we understand that this is the gospel. He says grace was given to us based on the measure of Christ's gift, of Christ's worthiness. God's grace didn't look down and say, I'm going to give you a little bit of grace and then you a little bit of grace and I'm going to give you different amounts of grace. The amount of grace we receive is not based on our worthiness. It is based on Jesus' worthiness. It is not based on the measure of our gifts or our talents. Those are filthy rags. They're no better than dung in comparison to the worthiness of Jesus Christ. That grace that we are given is based on nothing more and nothing less than Jesus Christ and His gift. Not on our worthiness. And that gift that was given by God was given at the perfect time as we are told in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 and following. When Paul tells us when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, 
crying, Abba, Daddy, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That is the reason that Jesus came. That is the reason we celebrate the incarnation at this time of year. To bring many sons and daughters to glory. He submitted Himself not only to the requirements of the law, which He fulfilled perfectly, but to the punishments that He did not deserve. He submitted Himself to the curse of the law so that He could bring us to God, not as mere subjects, but as sons and daughters. God hasn't just saved you to make you His people. He saved you to make you His family. He saved you to bring you into His house, not simply into His domain. We were freed from the domain of sin to be brought into the family of God. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. And He has placed His Holy Spirit, another gift, in us as a guarantee of our adoption and our redemption. We carry that treasure as well. And now we wait for His return. But soon we will be with Him forever. And the Spirit waits with us. Waits in us. The presence of God in your very life if you're in Christ. And that Spirit anticipates that consummation of our eternal life with Jesus Christ. God has not left us without hope. He's not left us in our sin. He hasn't left us under the curse of the law. He sent His Son to free you from all your sin. Whether you walked into this place today as a believer or not, I pray that you will not harden your heart to His gracious gift, that you will not spurn what has cost Him so dearly to provide, that you will not take a look at the free grace, the free gift of Jesus Christ and consider it cheap. Because it is costly. More costly than you or I could ever afford. I pray that He will draw you to Himself. That He will open your eyes to see the value of the gift He delights to give you. And I pray that you will grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. 
our Father. We don't want to play Christian. We don't want to act like Christians. We want to be your sons and daughters. And so you have called us to that very thing. You have adopted us into your family. Even though when you look at us, you saw us in our filth and in our loss. You saw us who were cursed. And you did not consider it too great a gift to send your Son to redeem us. To rescue us. And to bring us into your family. Into your glory. God, you don't look down on us and threaten us. We are no longer under the condemnation of the law. We stand before you in the grace of Jesus Christ alone. I pray that we would all trust you more. Our faith would be built up. That we would realize the worth of the gift that you have entrusted to us. It is in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ who accomplished everything you set out for him to do and will bring it to completion. Amen.